A very warm welcome to this World Game Changers podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards creating a better life and world. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational insights and motivational messages out into the world so others may benefit. Hello listeners and welcome to this World Game Changes podcast episode. Today I am joined by a returning guest, a fellow World Game Changes director and a lady all the way from sunny California in the United States of America, a lady by the name of Kristen Johnson. Kristen, a very, very warm welcome to you, Mom. Thank you. It's great to be back on the World Game Changers podcast. The last time we did this, uh, I was just being introduced to you and I've done a couple of podcast uh, segments since then, but this is my first full-length podcast since that first introduction and certainly my first as a director. Mm. So a, fir- a, a question of firsts then, listeners, a question of firsts. Now, yes. what we want to focus on, so a couple of years ago, we produced a book called Mastering the Game of Life, listeners, and it did really well. And what was in that was 22 global co-authors telling their stories about how they'd overcome challenges in life you know whatever that challenge was and you know and there was vulnerability in there there was some real powerful shares and we're going to be doing a follow-up book on that and Kristen's very very instrumental in in the compilation of that Mastering the Game of Life 2 book but forget the book because this is not a podcast to plug the book per se what this is is to have a conversation you know even that title Kristen mastering the game of life just a few simple words but they combine to offer a what some might say well that's a big statement that is isn't it and as you know the purpose of these podcasts is for the listeners to pick up pearls of wisdom how can they move their life lives on you know do we actually ever master the game of life it's probably a good question to start on that is a good question and just so our listeners know, we're planning to follow up to that book, uh, details to be forthcoming, but mastering the game of life, that's such a big question, whether or not we actually master the game of life. And I think that our process throughout life, in my personal perspective, is, is to master that game of life, whatever that looks like for anybody, one of us, because Paul, isn't it true that even though we have Maslow's hierarchy of human needs and the six human needs that you've talked about, but we all master the game of life in our own way, uh, whatever that looks like. So I think that the question is very broad, but I think it's also individual. It's unique to every human. Mm, It is, yeah. And I'll just share a wise old sage said to me, actually in her in, in California, about uh, what six seven years ago, said to me, "We don't learn to master it, but we learn to catch things quicker." That's a very good answer, isn't it? That's certainly true because there's just so much to be to be learned to be. Um, 
so many challenges to overcome, especially I would venture to say the last two years. Um, I think we've spoken about this before, certainly in our personal conversations and in some others. We have, when we first got to all got together, you, me, uh, you, you and Martin first, then Amy, then me, and others to form this organization we affectionately call World Game Changers. It was in the middle of a massive challenge for the world, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And look at the changes that the world has undergone since the, in those two years. And certainly our, our organization has grown, but that was a, that was a game changer, if you will. That was really upending the playing field. And it, it's like somebody took the playing field that we call the world and massively shook the chessboard. And well, where the pieces may fall, uh, pieces fell, nobody could have predicted. It's kind of like everything, we had to relearn everything again and rediscover things. Don't you think so? Mm, very much so, very much so. So mastering the game of life, listeners, what does it really mean? I mean, you know, Kristen, in your, and I suppose we'll all have our own individual takes on this, but in your humble opinion, what's the big prize? You know, if somebody said, yeah, we've mastered the game of life, to what end? What's the really big prize? What, what does that mean? Wow, that's such a big question, and it's individual to everybody. If I would venture, uh, it goes back to those human needs and the need for a lot of people would say, oh, I want, to, I want to die making my mark on the world. I want to die leaving the world a better place. Uh, like Stephen Covey says, I want to know that my children will be better off than I am. I want to leave a legacy for future generations. I want to make a name for myself. I think I already said that one. I want to fall in love. I want to find love. I want to, I want to matter, uh, that kind of thing. I think that's the big prize is something along that score where, where you're, you're loved, where you love and can be loved. You make your mark, whether it's uh, winning fame and fortune or making your mark on the local community where everybody knows you, or some, somehow you contribute. Somehow there's, there's some sense that this world, uh, or at least the people around you in, in your immediate circle are, are better off because you were on this planet. It's kind of like that classic movie it's a wonderful life. Well, like the angel Clarence says in that movie, uh, amazing how one life touches every other, other lives. And when he's given Jimmy Stewart, uh, George Bailey is given the chance to change uh, his life to have, essentially to never be born. He discovers just how much his life has changed the people around him from everyone from his brother who he saved to the town, even to his wife. It's so I think that that's, if we look at George Bailey in that, in that wonderful movie, Jimmy, played by Jimmy Stewart, we, we can understand that that's, that's all any of us are really looking for. We're looking for a sense that we matter. 
that what our life has done, our life has accomplished matters to somebody. Doesn't matter who it is, our children, uh, our family, brothers, sisters, parents, friends, aunts, uncles, whatever, community, that we matter. If Does that make sense? Mm, it does. What underpins that was the very first thing you mentioned around love. It's interesting, no matter what podcast I have or with what guest or from what topic or whatever the angle is or the conversation, I would venture that 500 plus episodes in, it'd be very interesting for somebody to actually go through every single one and see if there's any single one, just one podcast where that word love's not been mentioned. I'll be amazed because it's such a reflection, listeners, of, of all our lives. You know, Robbins talks about this, the two inherent fears that we have as human beings. And this transcends all gender, cultures, uh, ge geographies, all labels that, you know, society insists on putting on us. But there's two things that underpin and cut through all that. One is I'll never be good enough. And two is I'll never be loved. And that love for me is, and as you know, as a direct Christian um, of World Game Changers, it's it's a word, not that we just use for lip service or, you know, it's a buzzword or anything like that, but really it's practicing what, well, okay, so forget the word. What, do, what does the word even mean, you know? Uh, and how can you put that into your everyday way of being? And so that will affect not only you, but the people around you. And love is at the heart, no pun intended. Actually, yeah, pun intended, of everything we do. But people don't want to talk about love, really, Kristen, do they? It's vulnerable. Well... We do talk about it, but I think when we talk about it in a way of the romantic, the romantic way we talk about, oh, I love that. It, what it really means to love, I think, I think sometimes gets lost in the conversation. And I agree with you that in the podcast I listen to, and admittedly, I've listened to all 500, but the ones I have listened to, whether it was with, um, with uh, our mutual friend, uh, Matteo Palomari, or whether it was with Amy or Rubria Mendoza or Bob Conlon or anyone, I would imagine that love is at the heart of every podcast. It's mentioned somewhere. Mm. So what does it mean to you? I think... I think that, well, I'm a very feeling person. So I, so love is something that certainly, certainly I've been aware of since I was a child. And just that sense that the world is really, really good. That's mm -hmm. kind of like what Anne Frank said, I still believe everybody is everybody, that people are really good at heart. And it just that love for it started with love for family, of course. I think that's where it, where it starts for many of us, even if it's a complicated family background, you, your family is your family and you still feel love for them. Uh, there's love for animals, there's love for nature, there's love of 
learning and knowledge, which is which is uh, something I fully embrace. There's love for humanity. There's love for our friends. There's of course romantic love and love for a spouse and love for children. There's so many kinds of love. It's it's unbelievable. But and there's several different kinds of love that I've read. There's different kinds of uh, love, agape, eros, uh, philia, philia. There's so, as the Greeks would have it, there's just so many different kinds of love. But love isn't the fuzzy feeling, fuzzy um, uh, Valentine feeling always. Love requires a lot of oneself, I think. Love requires, I don't wanna say sacrifice, but yeah, okay, love requires sacrifice because if you love anything, you're, you're going to give your all to see it succeed. And that doesn't necessarily mean uh, uh, the kind of love where, okay, if a parent loves a child, they're not going to necessarily give in to everything that the child wants, because that's, that's really not love. I, I mean, some part of that is just teaching the child to be their best self, if that makes a sense, if that makes sense. Because I think Rubria Mendoza said something in her podcast that said, I want my children to fail. And I can't remember what context that was, but essentially she, she wanted her children to, um, well, listen to listen to the podcast but her thoughts were very very revealing but sometimes loving people means helping them be their best selves and make their own choices even if it's not something that we entirely agree with but we can still support them what do you think as you was talking there what went through my mind was um You've mentioned the word romantic a few times, um, and I think the principle applies. Whether it, I mean, as you know personally, I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't do that label romantic. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it, I think it's a misnomer personally. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons is, and I think yet again, this kind of comes from the Robbins school of thought. Um, so many people waste their lives looking for the perfect love rather than create because it doesn't exist you know how many times we hear about people getting into relationship and for the purpose of this thread of conversation listeners let's use that romantic label that thing you know the honeymoon period it's great i've just met this new girl I've just met this new guy whatever the dynamics are great life's beautiful and then as the days and the weeks and the months go by it settles and arguably complacency steps in and you know and all that kind of so no it's find out that the other half well you know got that annoying habits really getting on my nerves and you know that wasn't there from the from the outset and this whole kind of conditioning of what we consider love to be this perfect love it just does not exist but I think when you've got a general love for yourself and for life itself, you come from a broad base of a place of, do you know what? I actually love life. I love me. I've got something to give now. And if I'm in a relationship and no matter what the dynamic is, 
I'll come from a place of giving rather than wanting to get, because I think so many people enter a relationship and ask themselves, what can I get out of this relationship rather than what can I give? Agreed. And it's, it's a mutual give and take. I think you, you, so many people have a hard time receiving as well, uh, receiving because especially I dare I say it, women where we're definitely givers, but I don't, I, it's not limited to women. I know a lot of men that are givers too, but it's, I think that it's particularly with women, we're definitely givers, nurturers, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of power in that, but, but you're right. It's, it's about loving yourself first. It's about that self-love and it's about loving life. And that's what I was trying to touch on initially when you asked me that question. I was always aware of that love for life inside me, that love for the world, that love, that sense that the world with all its problems, and I've become aware of the problems, you know, over the last few years, and just really, especially as I mentioned, the last two years, it's it's been a challenge. But I think that. I've always been aware that the world is really, really good and people are really, really good and that there's so much beauty in this world that you have to, it, it's, it may take more faith to just love the world as, as it is and love life, but it's, I mean, what's the alternative really? Mm. Here's an interesting word that you've just introduced. Faith. Do we need faith to help us towards mastering the game of life? That's an interesting question because it it touches on religious faith, but I think, and you know, that's personal to everybody. Massive respect for everybody's religious faith, but I think you have to have faith, belief, uh, confidence in something, something bigger than yourself, like. I forget who said it, but it may have been Robbins, but you need a reason to get up, get up in the morning. And I think one of those, the ways that you do that is through faith. You know, faith that what you're doing is the right thing, faith that you're on the right path, faith in humanity, faith in yourself, faith in your life purpose, faith in your community, faith in the people around you, that the important people in your life, faith in your work. Uh, they say that uh, work is love made visible and, and work is faith in action. So I think that there's a lot to say about faith. And sometimes you just take a leap of faith. Mm. The, um, I smiled when you said about that reason to get out of bed, because I've said that so many times. Um, I, I'm sure other people have said it, but it's been my own take upon life's purpose so let's introduce this thing called purpose and i have said it listeners on previous numerable podcast episodes we all need a reason to get out of bed in the morning that gives us a purpose the big question we then ask ourselves is is it an empowering reason is it an empowering purpose or is it a disempowering one uh, that's a big question so let's let's dive in on purpose and reasons to get out of bed in the morning. They don't necessarily have to be good reasons, do they? 
I mean, if I could be allowed to share before inviting you in, Kristen, on your thoughts, my reason to get out of bed for many, many, many years when I got up, you know, I'd got a belief system apparently called an addiction around alcohol. That was that that gave me a reason to get out of bed in the morning to go for a drink. Wasn't a very empowering and healthy one. In fact, just the opposite. Nonetheless, it was purposeful. Well, and I think that a lot of people that that, that you talk about, you talked about addiction. I think that that um, it, it that people have have their struggles. They have their struggles with addiction. There's there's addiction. Don't you think that there's addiction to a lot of things, not just the chemical to the substances to alcohol or or drugs or whatever, but any but shopping can be addiction. Work can be an addiction. Certainly, we talk about the internet being addiction. There's a there's a lot of potential addictions out there. And what what is it that those addictions serve? What purpose What purpose do they serve? I mean, with people, how do they? Uh, what purpose do they serve in their lives? Because I've struggled trying to figure out that one. I mean, is this a sort of a challenge that we have to overcome in our lives, or, uh, or is it is it a test? What what it, or is it a chemical thing? Is it just uh, a personality, genetics? What is it? It's a great question, that is, and the answer, at the risk of sounding oversimplistic, listeners, it's wrapped up in something that was mentioned right at the top of this conversation, the six human needs. It's so we all have needs. And yet again, I'm going into Robin's territory, and this is certainly not a plug for Tony Robbins. Um, from my own humble point of view, and you know, some of the amazing mentors that I've been fortunate to, you know, to serve alongside and under and uh, and what have you um you know robin's six human needs is up there with probably the, one of the most powerful things i've ever learned in my life and those six human needs and you've heard me propound these over and over and over again and they are the need for certainty the need for uncertainty which is variety, the need for significance, me, myself and I, I'm all that matters, the need for the opposite of that, which is love and connection. So they are the first four core needs. The fifth one is the need for growth and the highest human need of all is the need to give to others, to serve something other than ourselves. But we can't do that until the first four have been met and then we start to grow and as we start to grow we give more so within that this this kind of whole thing around well what is it that i'm going to give what better gift than than the love so just to go back to you know the addiction thing the science behind this that if you meet six of your human needs any one of them three out of those six at a score at sort of seven, which is a high score, eight, nine, ten, seven or more, meet three of those six, that constitutes an addiction. So if that sounds a bit complicated, listeners, let me slow this down because this is a valuable, this, in my humble opinion, is 
answers speaks directly to Kristen's question and is a lifesaver, literally. So let's look at my alcohol addiction. I don't embrace that label anymore, but let's have a look at it. Right. How did alcohol meet my need for certainty? Right. OK, I had when I was drinking. I had total control over it. I would get out of bed the same time in the morning. I would have the routine. I would I would have my taxi at five to nine. I'd be in the pub for quarter past nine. I'd sit in the same seat. I'd talk to the same person. I'd speak the same conversation day after day after day after day after day. I'd drink the same amount up until a point. And then after that, I'd drink. My, my drinking would get faster. There was a pattern. And I was very aware of it. It was like a military-controlled routine. That was my certainty because I controlled that, me. And that was down to my own vulnerability and insecurity of how my life had unfolded. So I was taking control back by imposing or letting the drink impose itself upon me. What need, right. what level, Paul, out of 10, where 10, is it met that need for certainty at the highest? 10. It met my need for certainty, totally. So there's one. One out of the three. I only need three, but seven or above, and I've got an addiction. What's the second human need is variety or uncertainty. The flip side of what I've just said is when I'd had a little bit too much to drink, I never knew what I was going to do next. <laughs> I'd either burst out in song because I fancied myself as the next Enrico Caruso or the great tenor, Mario Lanza, or I'd, be, I'd start a fight or I'd end up with a girl. So in other words, life became very uncertain because I never knew what I was going to do next. Because my confidence, as they call it, Dutch courage kicked in. So all of a sudden, this vulnerable, insecure individual was now brave because he was plied with drink. OK, so what to what degree from naught to 10 did alcohol meet my need for variety? Ten. Mm -hmm. Right, all of a sudden we've got two out of the six at 10 or seven and above. Let's move on to the third one, the need for significance. Everything I've just described to you, Kristen, when I was singing, when I was fighting, when I was drawing attention to myself, made me significant. Look at me, world. I'm not that vulnerable, insecure individual that's dying inside. Look at me. I'm brave. Look at this party trick. Let me put two or three tables together and let me show you how I can jump over those tables and I'll take bets. I'll take £10 bets. That put me in the spotlight. That gave me significance. To what degree? 10 out of 10. I was the star of the show. Right, I've got my three, but we'll carry on. We'll carry on. The fourth human need, love and connection. How Well, how on earth? Well, the guys I was drinking with, because I was the centre of attention and because I'd always earned good money and I could buy rounds and I could buy their rounds, I'd got connection. I'd right. also, through that, my life, been extremely fortunate to have, have had the love of some amazing partners. Amazing. The way that those people have stood by me has been nothing short of miraculous. To what degree was my fourth human need met? 10. 
10 out of 10, no doubt about it. Because mm. I was getting a lot of connection. I was getting a lot of love. Totally separate things. Let's go on to the fifth one, growth. Paul, how did the earth burying your head in a drink every day help you grow? Because I was a binger. My psychology was based on all or nothing. And I was a binger. So I knew that I my fix would be met in the early days within a six month, almost round the clock. Then I'd come off it for six months through self-discipline, willpower, but I couldn't sustain it because it had got its teeth into me. But that growth, when I was off it, meant I'd do charitable work. I'd give raise tens of thousands for charity. I'd do all kinds of stuff for those that I perceive are less fortunate. That helped me grow. Those were my light periods of life, which would then invariably be followed by the dark because I'd end up back on the drink because I had deep-rooted issues around self-love, self-respect. I actually hated myself for many, many, many years. I was living a lie. I was wearing a mask, but I was, I was damn good at it. But the only person I was really fooling, listeners, was myself. That's the biggest crime of all, to thine own self be true. Okay, so growth. Well, because I raised all this money for charitable causes, less fortunate, and actually went on personal development courses, you know, that started my journey of self-discovery. So despite the setbacks, of which were many, I was growing. To what degree then? Because I had this mindset of all or nothing. And I actually threw the guilt that inspired me for hurting so many people, losing so many relationships when I was on the drink, when I was off it, boy, did I make up for it. I went to the other extreme. That got me through courses, got me through university, got me through raising money. There was immense growth, 10 out of 10. So far, I've got five out of the six at 10 out of 10. The big one, contribution. That right. was wrapped up in the growth. Because I would, in those days, because I was so aware actually of, of why I'm here despite the fact I couldn't maintain it because of the psychological pattern that I was involved with the conditioning around alcohol but the contributions I made to so many people's lives their words not mine so I'm certainly not blowing my own trumpet here listeners I offer these humble insights to you to to try and inspire to say look no matter how bad things are work towards mastering the game of life because there is a way and i would encourage you to go and research tony robbins's six human needs okay that contribution i've already alluded to even in the early days raising serious amounts of, of money and on those one-to-ones Kristen, sitting down with guys in the pub that had given up hope i mean my right. life was a mess my life was a mess who am i to give advice and support but somehow and I, I mean, I won't mention names, but there were people that, that basically wanted to end their lives. But because they found that kind of kindred spirit in, you know, wine, women and song in all the crazy things that we did. It gave them a purpose, a reason to get out of bed in the morning. I met that need at 10. I only needed three at seven or above. I got all six at 10. That constitutes an addiction. So alcohol for, for me met all of my six human needs at a very, very, very high level. However, it met it in a very, very disempowering way because I left a lot of carnage behind. 
a lot of carnage. It must have been difficult, but and there are ways to meet those six human needs that aren't that at a ten that that aren't addiction. That's just kind of like that's just kind of like the dark side of it. But there's also the light side. With everything, there's a yin and a yang, a dark side. And when and as a as you were talking about the guys that you helped in the pub, what what came up for me was that uh, one of the things that they do often with um, with substance abuse counselors is they draw from people that have struggled with the problem themselves because they're the ones that are the most empathetic. They can they understand what it's like. It's not like they're preaching from their soapbox and and they don't have a clue about what it's like. So you the way that you were with those guys in the pub, um, you were reaching down to help them. Uh, and I've heard it said that there's no better uh, uplift for the heart than reaching down and pulling someone else up. So maybe you may have been down right there with them, but you were able to pull them up a little bit. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I just want to kind of, um, I suppose, respectfully challenge something that you just said, Kristen, around, you know, the addiction. You can also have an addiction in what's perceived to be a positive sense as well. Because, okay. you know, have you ever heard that term addicted to love? Yes. Addicted so, to work uh, yeah, as well. Work, love, whatever. So, you know, with my charitable work, I flipped it on its on its head and actually sort of, you know, at this moment of speaking, 12 and a half years dry, because I knew that my once I'm, I started listeners to get that self-inquiry to find out more about who I am. So even though you're doing something, so if I went through the more positive aspects of world game changes, for example, I could go through those six human needs and probably still offer a 10 on every one. That makes it, I've got an addiction to world game changes. So it cuts both ways. It cuts both ways. So if I have, if I hear you right, if those human needs don't, if all, if all those needs are, are, are met uh, at a 10, most people would consider that, you know, a success, but you're saying it's an addiction. I'm still struggling to wrap my head around this, around this concept. Is it because uh, if we're, if we're so normally, normally people fall in the range of one or the, uh, uh, not entirely a perfect 10 that, you know, that it's not a perfect picture that we kind of, sometimes we need variety. Sometimes our need for variety is fulfilled. Sometimes our need for significance is fulfilled. You know, it very, it, it's variable. So I'm, I'm a little confused. Okay. So just to recap, seven or above, which is a high score, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever. Three out of the six equals addiction. This brings in what you've said. Probably the reason you confuse Kristen, because isn't it true that there's this kind of uh, conditioning that as soon as we use the word addiction, bad word, bad problem, negative. You know, 
you're addicted to love, you're addicted to this. It can be positive and it can be empowering. Just because I'm addicted to the work I do doesn't make it bad. In the context of alcohol, it made it bad because it was disempowering me. In the context okay. of world game changes, it's empowering me. There's a big difference. So you can make it work ah. for you or you can make it work against you. You have that choice. Ah, that's where I was confused. When you said when you when you said it, it was a positive, I now on I now understand. And it's just those insights, and this is just one of many uh, tools. Let's use the word tools for mastering the game of life. Probably a lot to unpack there, Kristen. I mean, it's very easy for me to recite this this example, my own example, because I've lived with it. I've worked through it. I've done a lot of work and a deep dive in. I've worked with countless clients on it. Um, and it just it's just, in many respects, it's a very, very powerful tool. But it just shows that really, I suppose, to bring on that purpose, we all need a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And the operative word there is need. What do we really need? And most, most of us, unless we've kind of, you know, had somebody or we're in real so much pain that we go on that voyage of discovery, we're not actually aware of things like this, is it? You know, and that's why it's important to have these conversations. So hopefully, listeners, you know, there might just be one thing in there that Kristen said or I've said that say, do you know what? Even the way Kristen sort of said, I'm confused. That was great because if Kristen got confused and we know each other very well, she got confused. You can guarantee, as sure as eggs are eggs, a lot of our listeners may have been confused as well, despite how many times the six human needs have been visited in the uh, in the past 500 plus podcasts. Exactly, exactly. This this was kind of uh, this was kind of unique, and it's maybe good that I was coming fresh to that conversation because. That allowed me to be in the, in the role of the uh, the audience, the audience and writing you talk about the viewpoint character, the audience standpoint for those who for those who don't know I'm a writer and um, those are listeners who don't know I am a writer and we talk in writing about the audience viewpoint character well it's kind of like if you. If someone is coming to this that hasn't heard all about the six human needs in the other podcasts then they might be a little bit confused as well. Or even if they have, they might be a bit confused. So I'm kind of the audience stand in here. Mm. And Tony Robbins has been very kind of consistent and not by design, but in this thing. And another Robinism is confusion comes before a breakthrough. There again, right. as humans, we don't like confusion. We want life to be one plus one always equals two. And when we get confused, it can soon get on top of us and pushes down into a dark place. Embrace it, listeners, and know that it's part of something new that's taking you to a different place. In the context of the six human needs, you've been introduced to uncertainty or variety. Embrace that. Kristen, I want to invite you in to share any contact details. I mean, obviously, you can be found on the World Game Changers uh, website, which is uh, worldgamechangers.org under forward slash our people. You'll see Kristen on there. What about you outside of that, Kristen? How can people find out more about you or even contact you? Kristenjohnson.net, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N. .net. I'm also on Instagram. I'm on 
uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, just the usual suspects. And I'm, I'm on social media, but kristenjohnson.net. And of course, I'm on the World Game Changers website. And I'm in all of the World Game Changers uh, books. So just to sign off, listeners, uh, this podcast will be found on our new YouTube, where we're really proud about what we're developing there and our creativity. We've got some amazing people. So check us out on YouTube and on the social, various social media, the, um, the Facebook group that we've got, uh, LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to use a Christianism, the usual suspects. And um, at that point, I'm going to sign off, listeners, the way I always do. Adding a bit of certainty, a bit of predictability into things, because I always sign off this way, don't I? Remember, the world's changing. How will you respond? Thanks very much for listening to this World Game Changers podcast episode. Hopefully you found it interesting and helpful. Drop a line to paul at worldgamechangers.org with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Remember, the world's changing. How will you respond?